But hey, today, don't tell Jody, my wife, I stole something from her today. Do not tell her I have this. This is our four-year-old sourdough starter that I stole from our fridge this morning. And I'm smart enough to know you gotta, you gotta lift up the flaps, you gotta let it breathe or else this thing would explode and we would have to cancel prayer week. You know what I'm saying? Like it would be bad. But I brought this in not just because the fragrance is wonderful. I brought this in because this is the illustration that I'm gonna have this morning. I'm gonna set it down right here. Lord Jesus, protect this. Jody already knows it's gone probably. I probably have a thousand text messages on my phone. But this sourdough starter is like the best thing that ever happened to us, okay? Because from this sourdough starter, bagels flow. Who's had a sourdough homemade bagel before? I have. Um, cinnamon rolls flow from this thing. I should have brought those this morning. Um, pretzels flow from this thing. Sourdough whole wheat bread flows from this thing. Jody does, over the summer, we have a grill outside. Jody does sourdough pizza with this thing. The thin crust, Brooklyn style. You know what I'm talking about? Even Peter De Arruda's like, hallelujah. You know, it's, out of this flows rivers of living water, okay? Like this is, this thing is next level. But can I tell you something? If I want something on Friday, Jody has to start today with this dough to make it. So if I say, hey, babe, I would love some sourdough bread on Friday morning. I just want to wake up and slice that thing and put it in the toaster. She goes, okay, I need to start tonight. I'm like, it's Tuesday night. What are you talking about? Because what she needs to do is she needs to get it out of the fridge, let it rest. It is like being 37 years old. You get out of bed, you're like, let me just rest a little bit. Okay, let me just take it easy. And then she needs to take a scoop of it, like a cup, and put it in and mix it with flour, and then guess what? Let it rest. She puts a little cloth over it. She's like, hey, babe, don't even go near it, okay? Don't talk loud around it. Don't stomp through the house. Just let it rest. Just take it easy. And I'm like, okay. And then Wednesday rolls around. That's overnight. Wednesday rolls around. It's, it's grown like four times the size. Then she just beats it down. She punches it down. And then she's like, now we need to let it rest again. This is called the second rest. And by this time, I could have gone to Walmart and back and bought 87 loaves of sourdough bread. Okay, you understand? Like, this is, I'm, all I want is toast on Friday morning. I want sourdough, sourdough whole wheat bread on Friday morning. I could have gone out and just bought all the ingredients and made it instantly, or I could have just bought loaves of sourdough bread from anywhere in the world. Thursday rolls around. She's like, okay, now Alex, this is a very important part. I take it out. I knead it. I add some flour. Then I add some yeast. Then I add some more water. Then I, she does all these little, it's like a Harry Potter spell. I don't know what she's doing to this sourdough. And then she finally forms the loaf and actually puts it in the pan on Thursday. And I just get out the butter and the black pepper and the jam. I get all my fixings out. And she goes, but now we need to let it rest in the loaf pan because it needs to get to know the loaf pan. I'm like, this is insane. What are we doing here, babe? Just put it in the oven already. And then it rests all day. She beats it down. She lets it rest. She lets it, like, meet the family. Like, I don't know what she's doing with this bread. But finally on Friday morning, she lets it get room temperature one more time. And she puts it in the oven. Now, friends, this is not just an illustration of delicious sourdough bread. 
It's an illustration of what God does in our lives, but also really what ministry is all about. See, in ministry and in life, we want stuff instantly right now. And God says, no, 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 I have a process. I want sourdough bread right now, so I'm going to say my prayer, and then Jesus, you're going to give it to me. That's me. I want microwave ministry. I want, I want it right now, this moment. But God says, no, I have a plan, and I have a purpose, and it's going to take maybe a little bit longer than you want. It's going to be a few more steps than you can even comprehend. But I promise you, in the end, it's exactly what you need. And this morning, I'm going to talk about making disciples. Last night I talked about being a people of prayer. And this morning I'm talking about making disciples because what I want is instant disciples. I want to find leaders. I want to find ministers. I want to find the perfect ministry where everything is exactly fitting my giftings and fitting my history and everyone's going to love me. But the process of you launching in ministry, the process of what God's doing in and through your life is making disciples. It's going to take a little bit longer. It's going to require some forethought. It's not going to be as fast as you want it. It's not going to be as easy as you want it. But dear friends, this is what ministry is all about. Now listen, I'm the missions guy, so you can't tell anybody this, okay? You can't leak a word to Pastor Chris or anybody. But you guys know the Great Commission, right? You guys should know the Great Commission. Matthew 28, Mark 16. Jesus says, go and make disciples. But that word go doesn't actually, isn't a good translation in the Greek. That word go, a better way to say it is as you are going, make disciples. See, friends, this puts me in a paradox. It puts me in a complicated moment because if you read it in the way that it's supposed to be read, Jesus is saying, as you go out, as you move forward, as you graduate, as you get a job, as you move to a city, make disciples. The main punch of the Great Commission is about making disciples, not simply going somewhere. That means that right now, Elam, we could have missionaries that are overseas and not fulfilling the Great Commission. This is what keeps me up at night because it's not about having a passport and having a visa, and having a location, and you simply go there and live there. That's not what the Great Commission is all about. What we're doing here in the States and around the world, what we're doing is fulfilling the Great Commission, and it's about making disciples. And making disciples is going to always cost us more time than we have. There's going to be more steps in the process than we want. And we're going to have to follow and simplify and submit to those requirements to get exactly what we want, which are authentic followers of Jesus that are in love with him and doing whatever he asks of them. Now, it's interesting that Jesus used those words in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Like, I wish Jesus would have said, therefore, go and find disciples. Therefore, go and recruit disciples. Therefore, go and email blast some disciples to round them up to follow you. Go and brand some disciples. He didn't say, Jesus said the word make. That complicates everything. And even the word he used was disciples. Listen, right now, that's a very Christian word. 
If you were to go to up to any random person and say, I have some disciples, they would automatically think you're a spiritual person. But in this context, Jesus used the word disciples. It was not a spiritual word. It was actually like a, a word, not, not a worldly world word. That sounds bad. But it was a word that was used by common people to actually say apprentice. So a blacksmith or a librarian or a sourdough starter, maker, whatever, they would have disciples, meaning there's someone in their vicinity that they're training on how to do the thing. They're passing off a skill. They're passing off something to that person. So when the disciples heard, go and make disciples, they didn't think, go and form a classroom. They heard, go and form a living room. Because that word disciple is so side by side, life on life. That's the, that, that's the thing that it sparks. It's not so much I'm going to teach you what Jesus says. It's about let me show you what Jesus says. Are you with me this morning? In, I lived in China for, for many years. I was a missionary there. And something we did to make disciples, we called it show and tell. These were, these were Chinese college students that have never even heard the name of Jesus. I would go to them and say, hey, Jesus loves you. They'd be like, is that your uncle? Because this is really weird. I did not study English to get assaulted like this. I'd be like, no, 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 he's the creator of the universe. He loves you. Like, they had no context for anything. So when we started talking about, hey, God loves you, he has a plan for you, and he wants to speak to you, they would be like, this is way, way too much. This is way beyond anything I could ever think and, and, and dream right now. So what we would do is we would say, well, let's tell them, but then also let's show them. So we would invite friends into our apartments, and we'd do worship just like we're doing now. And all of a sudden, without doing any teaching, without doing anything, without showing them about raising their hands or closing their eyes or singing out in the Spirit, these Chinese students would just start to do it. They would feel the presence of God. They would stand up. They would start to lift up their hands. They would start to worship some of them would start to pray. They've never read the Bible before. Some of them would start to pray, and they're quoting Scripture exactly. I'm going, what is happening? This is crazy. I remember there's one student, a, a Tibetan named Lobu. He was in our apartment, strong Tibetan Buddhist. We invited him to these Friday night, like, Holy Spirit gangster blowout meetings. Like, it was all, like, there was no sermon. It was just like... Come for three hours, we're going to worship, we're going to prophesy, we're going to activate people in the Holy Spirit. And these atheistic students would just come in and hang out and get blasted and lift up their hands and get saved and start praying. for. It was, it was incredible. Lobu, during one of these times, he's in, he's in our apartment. We shared the gospel with him a thousand times. Every time he goes, I think Jesus is the best thing ever. We say, do you want to follow him? He goes, no, I'm a Tibetan Buddhist. I'm like, okay, I don't. Okay, I don't know. Okay, whatever. Um, but then he just he keeps on coming back. And one time we're sitting there, and I'm telling you, it's only happened a few times in my life where I actually see the Holy Spirit hovering over someone. We're in this place of worship, and Lobu stands up with his hands lifted, and he, he's never watched a, a Benny Hinn conference. He doesn't know about the shaky shakes, okay? He doesn't, he's sitting there trembling before the Lord. And I can, he's, it's like his eyes are open and closed, like it's freaky. But I can tell his eyes, like, have movement. Something's going on. I'm just going, okay, let's just worship. And then towards the end of the night, I just go, hey, Lobu, some, something was going on. Do you want to tell us? He goes, 
I just, I think I just, I'm not sure what it's called, but I think I just had a vision. We're like, okay. And he goes, in that vision, Jesus was with me in Tibet. And I've never understood why I came to this city from Tibet to study, he was studying tourism management. I never understood why I would come here to study tourism management, but right now I understand exactly why. Because what I can do is I can go back to Tibet and I can get into the places that no one else can get into because I'm Tibetan. Even Chinese people, even Americans, other you cannot get into certain areas. I can get into those areas and then what I can do is I can then tell them about Jesus. <coughs> Sorry. And I was like, holy moly. We start freaking out. We start doing more worship. We're going crazy. And I say, well, hey, Lobo, you know what? Jesus wants even more than that. That sounds awesome. That's a great plan. I say, you know what? Like, he's, he's pretty much saying, like, Jesus wants me to be, to be a missionary to my own people. You understand? That's what he's saying. I go, Lobo, what? Jesus wants even more than that is he wants you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know him in a personal way. I go on this big, long, extravagant gospel presentation. I'm crying. Others are crying. We're all like, this could be the moment. And after I get through this weepy gospel presentation, Lobo looks at me and goes, no, no, Alex, I'm a Tibetan Buddhist, bro. I'm like, oh, okay, well, so I'm not sure where Lobo is. I'm not sure how that story ends. But we could have a Tibetan Buddhist missionary right now in Tibet preaching the gospel. I don't know. But I needed to create the environment to show him. I could tell him all day long about how God wants to use you, how he wants to speak to you, how he has a plan for you. But at the end of the day, I needed to open up my life and show him exactly what it was. Paul Johansson, the president of EBI when I was here back in the day, an Elam legend, he says it this way. He says, to preach, you must open up your mouth. To teach, you must open up your Bible but to disciple, you must open up your life. You want to change the world? Make disciples. You want to change a city? Make disciples. You want to change a family? Make disciples. You want your life to be radically changed every year for the rest of your life? Make disciples. And discipleship, if it was easy... We'd all be in heaven right now. Because Jesus said in Matthew, every tribe and tongue will hear the gospel and then the end will come. We should all be up in glory right now if making disciples was easy. In fact, I think when Jesus said this to the disciples, they were going, okay, we can get this done by Friday. Like, this is going to be awesome. He says, go into all the world and make disciples. They're like stuck between two mountains their entire lives. They're like, well, you guys go that way. And we'll go this, right? We'll meet back up in a few days. This is awesome. We can do this. The other, making disciples is the most difficult task in ministry that you will face. Fundraising, it has its challenges. Starting your service on time on Sundays, it has its challenges. Dealing with that one family in your church, it has its challenges. Having fallout from years of ministry with people and they just turn their back on Christ, it has its challenges. But making disciples is the main thing that you must do for your entire ministry career if you want to see authentic fruit. See, what happens is the longer you stay in ministry, what you start to do is you start to just do ministry. You start to just go year after year and kind of 
do the things in front of you that you're supposed to do. The higher you move up in leadership, the more distant from making disciples you become. Because now you're stuck in meetings, you're stuck dealing with issues, you're putting out fires, you're doing all these things that are good, but are you actually making this up? Are you opening up your life to those around you to show them how to follow Jesus? Jesus further in, in, in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 28 says this, in verse 20 he says, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. This also is a different frame. Sometimes when we think of the Great Commission, we think teaching them all that Jesus commanded. No, no, no. Teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. That, my friends, is a different game altogether. We have our little guy, Elliot, and uh, he's all boy, and he's not a sidler yet. We haven't officially adopted him, but he's on the way there. He loves, like Dr. Fred said last night, he loves to party. He's there. Like, he's, he's, he's a party animal. And uh, he loves blocks like all kids do. He loves to throw blocks like all kids do. And so I'm training him right now on we can have blocky, blocky head concussion time. That's fine. Like, we can, we can go hard on him. We can do it. But we need to clean up afterwards. So I sing the clean up song. Clean up, clean up, clean up time today. <laughs> I, we, we get it all. I try to show him. Look, daddy has blocky. Puts it in baggy. And he just laughs and farts. Like, he doesn't care. He's just looking at me like, good job, Dad. What do you want, a cookie? Like, this is great. So, now, what would happen if he gets older and we're still doing the blocky blocky? Yeah, clean. He's 16. I'm going, clean up. Clean. It's like, what is, I, I'm, I'm trying to teach him the right thing. Clean up after yourself. But I'm trying to not just teach him to clean up after himself. I'm trying to teach him to obey when I say it's time to clean up. He starts to sing the song and he moves it forward. You see, that is what God's requiring of us as leaders, as ministers. We're not just teaching people what Jesus said. We're teaching them to obey what Jesus said. Anyone can find out what Jesus says about anything with this cool device. Anyone can Google, how do I stop sexual sin? How do I stop stealing? How do I get over depression? If you Google those things, there's probably billions of results in five seconds on your phone. Right there, boom. Everything you could ever want to know about breaking free of sin. But friends, can I tell you what this generation is looking for? Not information on how to break free from sin, but a demonstration of how to break free from sin. Let me open up my life to you and show you what it looks like. Here's my struggle. Here's my pain. Here's what I'm still going through. When you invite people into that journey with you, now you're making disciples. Now you're moving into a place. Jesus, for three years, opened up his life. He didn't recruit disciples and be like, all right, guys. So remember, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we're going to meet at 9. We're going to pray and fast for an hour. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays is going to be our prayer. No, no, he didn't, he didn't have some sort of regimented thing. He opened up his life. And he says, you're doing life with me now. You're hanging out with me now. I'm going to show you Jehovah Jireh. He's been talking about how his father has sent him. He's been talking about how he's establishing the new covenant. But now let me show you the protection and the provision of the father above. 
He didn't just teach it. He showed it. But Alex, I just like, this is my first day at Bible school. This is my first semester. And listen, I got like, I got like saved my second year of Bible school, okay, here. So it's like, you're, you're doing okay. All right, you're doing fine. But Alex, what do I have to give? Friends, if you have a pulse, you have everything to give. You don't have to memorize this cover to cover, even though that'd be cool if you did. God bless you. You don't have to have your life all right. You just have to have an understanding that making disciples is the main thing. It doesn't matter if you go into the workforce. It doesn't matter if you join a, a tech startup. Listen, I want everyone in this room to do what God's called you to do. That might not be a missionary. That might not be a lead pastor. That might mean going into the workforce and dominating for Jesus. But there, my friends, you can still make disciples. It doesn't matter what you do or where you go. In fact, the saddest thing in the world to me is when someone is called to be a teacher, someone is called to be a scientist, and they get caught in the Christian rhythms and think, well, I need to do the spiritual thing. No, no, no. You need to do what God has for you. And along that way, you need to realize that God is calling you into this process of not microwave ministry and microwave Christianity, but entering into the process of making disciples. And the thing that we have the least today is the thing that it takes to require this the most, which is time. I talk to pastors, leaders, and missionaries all over the world constantly. And the one thing, when I ask them, how are you doing, guess what they say? I'm busy. How's church going? Oh, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. How's the family? Woo, what family? You know what I'm saying? We're going, baby. We're, 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 we're getting things done. Listen, ministry busyness has nothing to do with ministry effectiveness. Like, just because you're busy and your schedule's packed, that doesn't mean anything to me. I care about, are you making disciples? You can have a busy schedule, but are you prioritizing the very things that you need to prioritize in your life? Jesus lived his life opening it up to the disciples, showing them moments, showing them pain, showing them what it looks like after you almost get uh, stoned because you're preaching, you escape, your heart's beating. The disciples saw all of that. They saw Jesus sneak out and escape from almost dying. They, they, they saw him do battle with the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. But you know what they also saw? They saw a man walk out from the garden who had said, Father, not my will, but let yours be done. They saw that. They saw a fully submitted man. As you live your life, as you go on in ministry, how are you going to open up your life in a fresh way? How are you going to enter into this concept of making what are you going to do with the very gifts and talents that God has given you? You guys know the, the uh, parable of the talents, right? The master's there. He dishes out a few talents. The guy who has the least is like, oh, man, this is sad. I don't want to lose it, so I'll just, like, hide it away. The master comes back. The other guys multiplied and invested the, the finances and there was more. And this guy just brings back the one talent. And the guy's like, that's not what I asked you to do. That's not good. The gnashing of teeth, the whole thing, it's bad. It's, it's not good. Um, 
here's the thing. When you think of your gifts and you think of discipleship, you think of making disciples. A lot of times when we think of ministry, when we think forward, we think of God, how will you use my giftings? I want to challenge you this morning on this, this concept. I want you to go from God, how will you use my giftings? I want you to think through God, how will you multiply my giftings? See, this is what the master was about the whole time. Because he didn't require them to use the money he gave them, the talents. He asked them to invest in, he celebrated the multiplication. So as you think of your ministry future, like, oh man, I'm a writer, I'm a preacher, I'm a, you sometimes think of what am I good at, and then God, how are we going to use that so I can do that? I don't want you to think like that anymore. I want you to think through, God, here's my skill sets, here's what I'm passionate about, I'm a listener, I'm a writer, I'm a preacher, I'm a psalmist, I'm just a diligent doer, I'm administrative, whatever your giftings are, I want you to start thinking through the lens now. God, how can you use that to multiply and make disciples around the earth? I was here, I was talking to somebody last night. When I was a student here, I was in Brother Dick's music track. And it was the hardest track at school. I'm sure it probably still is. I remember our final, Brother Dick, I'm talking to other tracks and students. I'm like, what's your final? Like, oh, I had a quote, Psalm 37, verse 5. I'm like, What? Like, hey, what's your final, what, what's, your final uh, what's your final project to graduate? Oh, I had to watch five Joel Osteen sermons, and I had to, I was like, what? This, this is not a final. Brother Dick made us compose a symphony, people. He's a madman, okay? Like, I'm sweat. I'm in the piano rooms, just my, 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 my fingers are bleeding. I can't, I'm just like, this is insane. I'm writing trombone parts in my sleep. But you know what? Brother Dick also, his worship leadership book, I brought that with me to China. And when I was there, I led worship a ton. But also what I, did, what I did is I started to raise up Chinese student worship leaders. I had them start not translating the whole book, but certain sections about being a worship leader and a lead worshiper. I taught that all the time, Brother Dick. Certain sections, I'd have them translate and I'd gather five or six people that, like, had no idea who Jesus was. The only thing they've done is karaoke in the bar and get drunk with their friends. Or, oh, I can play guitar. They did that to pick up chicks. Like, this is, like these are not people. I, I just found people that have some sort of, okay, you've sung. Have you ever sang sober? They're like, no. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to try something here. Um, I, I found people that could be future worship leaders. And instead of just, like, finding a worship leader instead of just looking for one that like is like you know is like the prodigal son they have some sort of like spiritual background but they ran away from the Lord I'm not playing that game what I decided to do is that I decided to make some sourdough bread and I would bring them together and I would say hey I'm gonna I'm gonna lead a song for you guys. I only know one song in Chinese. Well, I will I need tongs I. You know this, Jeremy. Well, I will I. So I was like, I'm gonna sing this and I'm gonna pass the guitar around and I want you to sing it. I want you to lead it. And the next time I would come and I bring a teaching. Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach this. This guy's gonna translate it so we understand what I'm saying. But then what I want, I want you guys to start to teach this very thing. Not later, right now. Reteach what I'm teaching you right now so we can stir up that gift of encouragement. 
And what I did is I, I just nurtured and I fostered and I poured my life into this group. And it cost me a lot. I, had, I, I didn't know Chinese fluently. I had to do all this research on, on words and all this research on how to break things down simply and all these things. These people did not have the integrity that I think we probably wanted on the stage. I had to work with them even in their personal lives to start to shape them in a way to follow after Jesus and go after everything that he has. But I'm telling you what, there's worship leaders now still in the underground church in China that are now not leading worship. They're now raising up people in that same way. They're now opening up their life. I guarantee they still have the same sheets of paper that I handed them. Chinese people, they don't throw anything out, man. They're keeping that forever. They're, this is like their lesson they had in 2006 from Uncle Al. And I'm just like making it up off the top of my head. I'm, uh, I'm you know, taking stuff from Brother Dick. I'm, I'm researching. I'm, I'm trying to get all the... I guarantee they saw that piece of paper and they're starting to multiply. Listen, when I was here in your seats, I saw my future in like black and white. Here's my skill sets. Here's what I'm good at. I think God, you're going to use me this way. I had no idea that he would call me to go overseas, invest my gifts, not use my gifts, invest and multiply my giftings and see a harvest that I'll probably never quite know or understand. But now do the math backwards. That's not just my harvest because I plagiarized Brother Dick for 18 years. Brother Dick, that's your harvest. And the people that invested in you and raised you up back in the day and said you have a calling to lead worship. You have a calling to raise up worship leaders. The, the, the investment and the fruit goes all the way back. Friends, when I look at you this morning, that's what I see. I don't just see you leading worship in the future someday, preaching someday, planning churches, doing ministries overseas. I don't see that. I see the very people that you're going to raise up. I see the very people that you're going to open up your life to. You're going to pour out your heart. You're going to pour out your everything that you have, all of your knowledge, all of your pain, all of your ideas, all the things in Scripture that you want to pass off. That's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at people that you're going to start working your own batch of sourdough all over the world. Not looking for microwave, instant results, but understanding it's going to take time. It's going to take investment. It's going to take understanding. Listen, my biggest pain in ministry has come from the sourdough bread. Because when you invest that much effort and the bread just burns, ouch. That's three days of nurturing and looking and patting and tiptoeing around the house. And, but I'm telling you, that, that's the place where you meet Jesus in an awesome way. Don't live your life to avoid pain. Don't make decisions consistently that result in pain. But understand, when you open up your life, you have moments. Listen, Jesus also experienced some pain. He raised up 12. One of them betrays him. There, there, Jesus lived a life of opening up to people around him. And by doing that, pain was brought into his heart. Listen, ministry would be really easy if people weren't involved. Ministry would be fun every day. Pastor Tim, ministry would be fun every day if it was robots. Maybe that's like 2050. I don't know. Like, I thought, that was the, I, I thought that, that, that's what the metaverse was going to be. 
But the metaverse is just full of trolls and people that will hurt you even further. So it's like wherever you go, whatever your escapism is, there's people on the other side. But I'm telling you, friends, this is the most important, biggest investment you could ever make in your ministry career. Yesterday, I'm telling you, if I could preach two things for the rest of my life, or this is my final sermon forever, which is not. I'm telling you, I would preach what I preached last night about praying, and I would preach what I'm preaching on right now about making. Because I don't want you to think making disciples is for a few people. This is for all believers. This is for everybody that's following Jesus. And you open up your heart, and you open up your life. In close, I'm not going to have any music or anything. I'm just going to have us actually just take a Selah moment. I want you to think through that very thing I brought from the parable of the talents about using versus investing. And if you have a phone, if you have, if you're someone that writes stuff with a pen, God bless you. But I want you to write down the things that you would say, these are my giftings, okay? Do that right now. So it could be talking. You could be a conversationalist. Someone that like, hey, I can kind of talk to anybody and it's easy for me. That's a skill set. It could be listening. Listeners are amazing. The best evangelists I know are not extroverts, they're introverts. Because they sit down with someone, ask them one question, and then they listen. And they hear what's going on in that person's life. And they're able to see the gospel flow. Maybe it's music, maybe it's writing, maybe it's dancing, maybe it's poetry. Whatever it is, I want you to write that stuff down. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this moment right now. Where we're forming like a little bit of a recipe. I know everything that we use with this sourdough bread, it requires a recipe. Everything that we, everything that we do requires time. It requires intentionality. It requires thinking through a process of an end result. And that's what we're doing right now. We're doing like a little making, multiplier, disciple recipe. Right, write that stuff down. doesn't have to be long. If it's one thing, that's awesome. That's one thing. What I tell people about the parable of talents is, dude, we all know that guy is the guy with the one talent. But guess what? If he would have done what the master required, he would have been known in the Bible as the two-talent guy. And then the next time the master leaves, he would have been known as the next time as the four-talent guy. So it doesn't matter what your skill sets are or, hey, I'm just starting to follow Jesus. I'm figuring out this whole thing. It's, I'm not asking for five to ten. Just... What are, you, what are your skill sets? What are you good at? What do you feel God is really honing you in on right now? And just write that thing down. Because God can multiply that in a way that you can never even ask, dream, or imagine.